Good morning, fellowship. <laughs> hey, there you are. Hey, would you stand with us? Let's worship the Lord together this morning. It's gonna be a good morning. Eight o'clock was really sweet, and I anticipate our time together to be the same. So let's, uh, let's sing out. Let's bless his name this morning. He is so worthy of our praise. Let's sing it out together. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your
All right, I want us to sing that chorus one more time. And as we sing it, I want to remind you that when we sing these songs, we're praying prayers. We're putting them to music. We're putting them to music because it helps us. It helps us take in the truth. It helps us embody the truth. So use your voice this morning. Even if you don't think you have a good voice, use it because it will bless you when you use it. And it will bless the people around you, whether you have a good voice or not. I love hearing people that struggle to sing, belting it out. Don't you? It's awesome because they're sharing, they're, they're just pouring out their praise and it's a beautiful thing. So we're praying this prayer and I want this to be your prayer this morning that I will worship. I will worship you this morning. Whether I really know what that even means or not, I'm, I want to and I'm gonna try. God, would you help me? With your help, I wanna worship you this morning. Let's sing it out. Bless the Lord. So bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, and worship his holy name, and sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. Yes, I will worship your holy name. Oh, we will worship your holy name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. How are we doing, fellowship? Good. It's good to see you guys. Hey, I need you guys to pull out your camera phones, and you're going to click on the QR code that's coming up momentarily, and that will give you the latest news that we have that'll help you, like, get any questions answered, and it'll help you get connected. If you're new here, we would love for you to get connected. Also, we are having communion today, so if you did not pick up your elements on the way in, you can grab them in the back, unless you brought your own elements, in which case, that's a strong move. Um... We would love to have you guys celebrate communion with us today. Hey, today is one of my favorite times of the year. And the measure of a healthy church is to see that they're raising the next generation to know and follow Jesus. And so today we are celebrating that with some amazing, beautiful families here. And so we are going to have Robin come up. She's going to introduce our families for our parent-child dedication. Hey, we are super excited to have these families with us. You know, we, we pray in family ministry all the time that our kids would grow up and at a young age choose to follow Jesus, that we would have leaders in our church raised up among them, that we'd have unreached people groups reached because of their faithfulness. So today we kind of start that. We kick that off with these kiddos and their parents. So let me introduce to you our first family. You want to come on up? Um, they have Rhett Harrison Farah. What is that cute? <laughs> so his parents are Zachary and Alexis, and he has a big sister, Brielle. And they say Rhett is more wonderful than we could have ever imagined. He has the kindest heart and always brings us joy. We cannot wait to see who you become. We love you. <laughs> Logan Emery Jernigan. Her parents are Corey and Aaron. 
Lo loves to sing, dance, read books, and say prayers before bed. She, and she is all things joyful and has shown us a love that we didn't know possible. We love you, Lo. And she has that adorable curly hair. Well, Camille June Schroeder. Her parents are Andy and Cassie. Camille is such a happy baby and is such a joy to everyone around her. We thank God for her daily and pray she always knows how special she is. Oh. And her big sister, Nora Rue. Nora is so smart and sweet. She has a love for animals and her family. Nora is such a blessing to us, and we are so very thankful for her. And last, we have Bennett Elijah Wilkins. Anderson and Aaron are his parents. He has two big brothers, Judah and Henry. Bennett, you are, you can wave after to him. <laughs> Bennett, you are the perfect addition to our family. We love your need for movement, willingness to snuggle, and ability to bring joy and laughter to every moment. And we pray that one day you will accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and want to follow him the rest of your days, aiming to glorify him in all that you do. We love you, Bennett. All right. This is an amazing group of families, right? <laughs> so beautiful. Holy cow. All right. So we have a charge that we want to give each parent, and then we have a charge for us as a congregation. And so parents, would you please listen to this charge? Will you commit to training up your children in the way that they should go through prayer, through, making a, through modeling a godly lifestyle and through reading God's word and through putting your marriage and your family first before Jesus. If you do, say we will. Church, these children of the next generation, these are the spiritual leaders who will know and express the authentic Christ in Northwest Arkansas and the world. And so, before God, I ask you this. Will you commit to supporting these families and all the families of fellowship through praying for them, encouraging them, and serving them to help raise the next generation to feel known, loved, and pointed to Jesus? If so, say we will. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for Rhett. Father, I pray that Rhett would be strong and courageous. That he would not be afraid and he would know that you are with him wherever he goes. That you will never leave him or forsake him. Lord, we lift up Logue. Father, thank you so much for Logan. And I pray that she would know that she is fearfully and wonderfully made. And I pray that she would know who she is in you, Father. And that she wouldn't listen to any of, the, any of the things of this world, but know that she belongs completely to you, Lord. Father, we pray for Camille. I pray that she would know the plans that you have for her. 
I pray that she would know that these plans are to prosper her and not to harm her and that you have a hope and a future for her. And Lord, we pray for Nora. I pray that she will know that you are her God. And Lord, she will grow into a young woman who loves you with all of her heart and all of her soul and all of her might. And Lord, we pray for Bennett. Father, I pray that he would be strong and courageous. I pray that he would do everything in love. And Lord, I pray that he would know that he belongs to you over anything else, Lord. Father, we thank you for these families. I pray, Lord, that you would move in mighty ways in each of them, Father, so that they would know that you are there during the good days and during the hard days, Father, that you would go before them, and Lord, you would, Father, be near and real to each of them in the midst of everything going on. In Jesus' name, amen. Families, thank you all so much. And your way to your seats, if everybody could stand up and greet someone around you, and then if you could take out your cameras, and if we could pull up that last slide that had everybody's name on it, I would love for you to take a picture of that slide so that you can remember these families. almost hate to break it up. Since COVID, it's been a long time since we've greeted our neighbor at church. Well, as we continue in our worship this morning, uh, I just want to read this such an encouraging passage from Ephesians over us, and then we're going to sing some really familiar old songs together this morning that I hope will be a blessing. Uh, but Ephesians 1 um, let me just read this over you. And again, receive this personally this morning. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God this morning for this glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showed us, he has showered his kindness on us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart I'll bring you more I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you Search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship When it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry It's all about you. It's all about. 
receive. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song, cause you are
Are good. You are so, so good to us. You lavish your grace on us. Your kindness is always extended toward us. God, I pray that you would help us to just see, see you for who you really are. Understand who we are in light of that. We are free. We are forgiven. God, help us to walk into that identity more and more today. God, thank you for who you are and thank you for your word. And I pray that you would bless it now and just would you root it in our hearts, the truths that Mark unpacks for us during this time. Would you just root them in our hearts so that they could come out in our lives and we could enjoy the fruit of the spirit and and share it with those around us. You're so good to us. We love you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's a right prayer. The word rooted and fruit coming out through our lives. Good morning. How are you? You know, it's really actually hard to believe it happened. Sergei Kulish was the number two sharpshooter in the world, and yet he was eliminated in the Tokyo Games this summer. Uh, he had already shot 30 shots, shot them well, and uh, was on his last shot when a button on his jacket came undone. And so he looked down for a second, saw everything was okay, looked up, refocused, took his shot, a nice shot, at the wrong target, and he was eliminated. A little bit later, he was interviewed uh, by the press, and he asked the press a question. Who in the world shoots at the wrong target? The answer was Matthew Emmons. Because Matthew Emmons was the 2004 Athens Olympic sharpshooter from Team USA. 
He was favored to win the goal, and on the last shot, he looked away from his target, and then he refocused on his target, pulled the trigger with a perfect bullseye at his opponent's target, and was eliminated. Yeah, it, focusing on the wrong target. Now, in our spiritual lives, how can we be sure that we're not shooting at the wrong target as well? I mean, let's be honest, folks. Accuracy is not determined by how sincere you are. I really believe Coolish and Emons were very sincere before they pulled the trigger. They were just sincerely wrong, right? And so can we be as well. So how do we make sure that our faith is aimed at the right target? And that's where the book of 1 Timothy is a gift to us because it's been clarifying the target that we aim our faith at. Now, just to do a little review in this fall series that we've been doing through 1 Timothy, we saw that in the first week, it was a warning against listening to the wrong voices and discerning the right voices. In week number two, we talked about the story of the gospel of grace. In week number three, we talked about the priority and the purpose of prayer. In week number four, we had a right view of authority. In week number five, we saw the high privilege and calling of servant leadership who lives out that authority in the local church. And now Paul takes us to this passage that we left off with last week, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, and he's going to recap his theme of the letter. Look at verse 14 with me. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that, if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Now, by now, you've been doing your First Timothy journals or your study guides long enough that you're already cluing in on some key words because you're learning how to feed yourself from God's Word, this personal Bible study method we've been teaching, and you've already picked up on the so that's clause in there. And you know that it's telling you the whole purpose. And Paul says the purpose of his letter is that the church would know how to conduct themselves. Zero in on that little word, conduct. Because for three chapters, Paul has been talking about sound doctrine, the kinds of things that we focus on in our minds. By the way, sound, that word, the Greek word behind that is where we get our English word hygiene. So when he says sound doctrine, you and I know he's talking about healthy teaching. And what he says here is that the goal of healthy teaching is never just a knowledge thing for us. No, the goal is not just that we would hear or read the Word of God and then go out and think right thoughts about God. He tells us right here, the goal of healthy teaching is so that we would think and even feel and do the Christian life the way Jesus would want us to live it out. Sound teaching, sound doctrine's job is to produce a knowing, a being, Yes, even a doing. And so our friends at John Brown University, maybe they have the saying right. You know it's healthy, sound teaching when it touches your head, your heart, and your hands. And it lives out from the inside out. Anything less than that vision of sound doctrine, that's just hypocrisy. And it's a lie. It's the opposite of truth. Look at the last line of verse 15 as he describes the church at the end of verse 15. He says, how to conduct themselves in God's household, he says, which is the church 
of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. First, that tells us who owns the church, right? Last week, we talked about who led the church, humanly speaking, but we see there that the elders and the pastors over that uh, congregation, they don't own the church. They simply manage and steward the owner's household. And the owner is Jesus Christ himself. And second, it tells us that Jesus' vision of a local church is a family, which is why Paul intentionally uses the word household here. It's the people of God living out the mission of God. So I I happen to work with the Fellowship Bentonville team. And the most common question I get is, so, so when will the church be open? And by the way, we do finally have a short answer to that. Okay, I'll tell you. February 27th. We're shooting for the end of February. But that's the short answer, and it's really not the best answer. The longer answer is this. We're already open. We always have been. The church is the people of God, living out the mission of God. And so whether that's in Bentonville or Rogers or Springdale or Fayetteville or wherever you call home, when we live as God's household on his mission, we are the church. What is the mission of God? Well, the third description in that passage gives us a hint. He describes us as the pillar and foundation of truth. That's the first aspect of our mission. Paul moves from this family metaphor to, a, to an architecture metaphor, which would have made a lot of sense for the church in Ephesus. Because every day they got up and went to the market or went to their place of employment or went to gather with other believers in houses, they would walk by and see something like this. The temple, the great temple of Artemis. Ephesus was the home for the temple of the Greek god Artemis. She's also known by the Roman mythology as Diana. And it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. In fact, so grand was this temple that it's actually four times larger than the Parthenon in Athens, Greece, that people visit even still today. The road to that temple would have been lined with pillars to decorate and and describe the glory of that temple. And the temple itself, so large, it was supported by 36 enormous marble pillars. And you know what those pillars' job was? Support the temple, but also show off its grandeur. Now, knowing that, look at verse 15 again. The church of Jesus Christ is designed to do the exact same two things. Support the truth of God and show off its grandeur. We are the pillar and foundation of truth. Folks, that is not arrogance. If we had named ourselves that, that would be arrogant. But when God calls you that, that's called identity. And to embrace your identity is called stewardship. And for us to play out the role of supporting, holding up God's truth, and displaying its grandeur, is how we live out the mission of God. When the scripture talks about us being the foundation of truth as a church, it does not mean that the local church is the source of truth. No, God's revealed truth, the Bible, is the source of truth. But there is this symbiotic relationship between biblical truth and a biblical church. 
On one hand, the church is supported by the Bible, by God's revealed truth. But on the other hand, the church then holds up God's revealed church to one another and out to, to a watching world. So the healthy church is always holding up truth and holding to biblical truth. Which is why my prayer every time we gather as a family is, oh Lord, don't let us waste our time. And a waste of time would be an inspirational hour with a motivational speaker. Ugh. But instead, may you, through the power of your spirit, inspire us as we feast upon your word and we hold to your truth and hold up your truth. If that's how we spend an hour, that's a good morning. We hold to and display the truth of God. And to do that, we have got to be able to discern truth from lie. So I want us to skip the last verse in verse 3 and look at the next one, chapter 4, verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Paul's restating in chapter 4 what he already told us in chapter 1. If you remember the very first sermon, he talked about in chapter 1 that there are these teachers from among the church at Ephesus who have strayed from the truth, and they strayed by by teaching side issues, secondary issues, things that are not in the bullseye, but maybe you're in the outer rings of the target, some of them not even on the target. Now, in chapter 1, they strayed from the truth. You notice here in chapter 4, he goes further and says they actually abandoned the faith. Straying from the truth leads to abandoning the faith. That word abandon there, the Greek word behind it, it's where we get our word apostasy. It means to fall away. And you notice the root of the fall, it's lies. You see it up there, it's lies. And the lies come from two sources, a human mouthpiece being influenced by a demonic spirit, the enemy of our souls, Satan and his emissaries, using human teachers to pull our eyes off the right target and get us to focus on the wrong target. And when that happens, we fall. You know, the older I get, the more I, I've seen some friends fall away from the faith. Some of them have outright apostatized. They would no longer even claim to be Christians or followers of Jesus. Some of them have simply strayed into kind of this spiritual apathy. They've decided that they have their own vision of the good life and they're going to chase that. And so... No, they don't outwardly disrespect Jesus, but they really don't have a whole lot of interest in him either. And whether that comes from a, a sense of abandoning or just apathy, either way, it's a straying from the faith. And it's sad and it's sobering. It's sad because people that I love, people that you love, you've seen them miss out on what Jesus clearly says is the good life, which he calls the abundant life in John 10.10. 10. And he says it looks like all the things that his Holy Spirit can produce in us, things like love and joy and peace and goodness and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. It's sad. 
to miss all of that by walking away from the person of Jesus and his truth. But it's also sobering. Because I'm not immune from that fall. And neither are you. We're all susceptible from pulling our eyes off the right target. So how does abandoning the faith happen? Because nobody comes to Christ with this intention of bailing out and falling away. What happened? Well, for some, it is a defiant chasing after sin. This dogged commitment that, oh God, you may say you think you know what's right, but I know what's right for my life, and I'll chase this sin. And that might even be some of you here this morning. We're on the outside, you're posing your way through the Christian life, but on the inside, you know you're living a double life. It's a fall. But at the same time, it can also happen the way it did for our two Olympians. They just pulled their eyes off the target and started focusing on the wrong target. And when our eyes drift off the bullseye of God's truth, we get distracted and we subtly find ourselves pulling off of the faith. Whether it's deliberate, whether it's subtle, either way, it leads to falling away and it's a tragedy. And yes, it can happen to you and to me. So what I want to know is what separates the person who in chapter 3 stands for truth and the person who in chapter 4 falls for the lie. Because at the end of chapter 3, we read that they stood like a pillar supporting truth. But at the beginning of chapter 4, we see that the professing believer falls for the lie. And there's only one verse that sits in between those two individuals. And it's chapter 3, verse 16 that we skipped over. Let's look at it together. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. What's the mystery? He tells us. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. So if verse 15 tells us that the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth, verse 16 follows up by telling us what the truth is. And the truth is not a what, it's a, a who. Truth is not a point to debate, it's a person to cling to. And his name is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that fits this description. Paul is probably quoting an early Christian him or an early Christian creed that believers would come together and sing not just to God but even over one another as they were holding on to the truth of God. And if you notice that every one of those descriptions describes who Jesus is and what Jesus does, he is the one who's the hero and the center of this target. It celebrates the person and work of Jesus, his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and even his ongoing work through his church family. That, men and women, is the only bullseye we aim at. This summer, I set two goals for myself, very opposite goals, both of them needed. One of them was to spruce up my backyard because she had been neglected for too long. 
But the other one, I, I for some reason, wanted to reread some of the classics from C.S. Lewis that grabbed my heart 40 years ago when I was a college student. And I decided that the best thing to do would be to tackle both of those goals at the same time. So on the first day of summer, I decided to stain my fence. And instead of going to my go-to outdoor playlist, which is classic rock for barbecues, <laughs> I put in the audiobook of C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, and it almost made painting the fence fun. Screw tape letters was written by C.S. Lewis as he imagined how demons would strategize to deceive a Christian. So he wrote these imaginary letters from this senior devil named Screwtape to a junior devil named Wormwood on how he should go about tempting Christians. Screwtape contrasts in this letter 25 that I'll read you two kinds of churches. One is a church he describes holding on to mere Christianity. And the other one, he describes as holding on to Christianity and. And it'll make sense when you notice that the demons describe the Christian as their patient. Look at his quote. My dear Wormwood, the real trouble about the set your patient is living in is that it is merely Christian. They all have individual interests, of course, but the bond remains mere Christianity. What we want, if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in the state of mind I call Christianity and. You know, Christianity and the crisis. Christianity and the new psychology. Christianity and the new order. Christianity and faith healing. Christianity and psychical research. Christianity and vegetarianism. Christianity and spelling reform. It doesn't matter. If they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a difference. Substitute for the faith itself some fashion with a Christian coloring. Work on their horror of the same old thing. Lewis wrote that in 1942. Oh my, does it sound so relevant today. I mean, I know that the ands are a little different. We've swapped our own kind of fashion of the day. But the temptation to focus in on Christianity and Jesus plus, when we do, it's the wrong target. Men and women, we will walk through a, a world that is filled with voices. By Wednesday, you will have been shouted at so many times you cannot stand it any longer. And so the goal is to figure out how to listen to the right voices versus the wrong voices for Fellowship Bible Church, right up front will tell you, this means we choose Jesus Christ over all else. We choose Jesus Christ over church. So we must never be more passionate for Fellowship Bible Church than we are for Jesus Christ and what he's done. We choose Jesus Christ over cause. Whatever your cause is, we cannot crusade for your cause, maybe it's social justice. We cannot crusade against whatever your cause is. Maybe it's anti-critical race theory or vaccines. Whatever your flavor is, none of that trumps in your heart the place that Jesus Christ has. We don't choose country over Christ. 
Because we know that Jesus, who's the one who owns our life, has said that he's transferred us out of a kingdom of darkness and dropped us into the kingdom of light, which is of his beloved son. And he's the very one who said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. We choose Christ over corporation. Yes, we know our jobs are demanding. But we also know we work heartily as unto the Lord, Paul says to the Colossians. And maybe for you, it's a fill in the blank. We still choose Christ over any other lesser things in our lives. Verse 16 tells us that the only target we choose to focus on is a person. And it's the person and work of Jesus Christ, which is why verse 16 says, beyond all question. In other words, you and I have no doubt what the bullseye is. He says, this mystery from which true godliness springs is great. We know what ranks supreme. And it all centers on that hymn that follows, which describes the person and work of Jesus our Lord. And that's what Fellowship Bible Church stands for. So if you long to hear more about the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and coming again of Jesus, pull up a chair around the family table. In every community group, in every worship service, he reigns and his truth is our focus. Which is why 1 Timothy has six chapters and dead set in the middle of this book is chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. And chapter 15, or excuse me, verse 15 says we hold up the truth. The church is the pillar and support or foundation of the truth. And then verse 16 tells us we also hold to the truth, that the truth is a person of Jesus, what he's done on our behalf and who he is. And we cling to him. So we'll teach what and who he is and we'll hold on to him as though he is dear life, for he is dear life. And for us, as we move forward, we can't do anything but see those two together. Because, folks, you cannot hold up something that you don't hold to. To hold up something you're not clinging to, well, Paul has already told us what the word for that is. It's hypocrisy. It's spiritual posing. And it's the first step to falling away. So we hold up and we hold to. A couple of weeks ago, Lisa and I had a chance to get away and celebrate 35 years of marriage. And because of the intensity of the last six months to a year, we chose as quiet as quiet could be. We went up to New England. It just drove around New Hampshire. It was beautiful. I'm telling you what's so weird is if you were to pull out our iPhones, you see hundreds of pictures that look identical. Tree, tree. Trees, Lisa in front of trees, Mark in front of trees, Mark and Lisa in front of trees, tree, tree. Why did we do that? That's ridiculous. Because we were captivated with the beauty that we kept seeing over and over and over again. I don't know how many miles we drove and kept pulling over and taking a picture of something that looks exactly like we did the mile before. Fresh glimpse of beauty after fresh glimpse of beauty just kept wanting us to 
capture it on film so that we could hold that image up to our loved ones back home when we got home. And yes, we have bored our teenage son with those. But that's all Paul is saying. Fresh glimpses of Jesus. We hold and cling to him. He is beautiful and never stops being most beautiful to us. And then we hold up his truth because we just want to give a picture to one another and to a watching world of who he is. We hold up. We hold to. And that's how we stand. You know, Paul, a few years before he wrote 1 Timothy, pulled the Ephesian elders of this church together for a, a face-to-face goodbye meeting. And in Acts chapter 20, he pulled them together and he said, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on guard, he says. And that's why a few years later, he writes to Timothy, this is already happening. My warning is starting to come true. So in chapter one, he said, I need you to stay there and correct certain men from teaching strange and false doctrines of secondary side issues. And I think Timothy must have done a pretty good job because about 30-ish years after 1 Timothy is written, a health assessment is done on the Ephesus church. And we have it recorded for all time in the book of Revelation chapter 2. And this is what Paul says. Or excuse me, John says, as he writes the book of Revelation. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. These are the words of Jesus. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So far, this is pretty good, right? They're holding up truth. But then the next line, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand, your witness, from its place. Uh-oh. They were holding up the truth. Sound doctrine for them was a proposition to hold up and to guard against. But they were losing their grip on holding to the truth. Their white-hot love for Jesus Christ was cooling, and the glow of gratitude that they had for his salvation was just dimming in their hearts. And Paul says, danger, danger danger. You could lose your witness that way and fall away. Paul, I'm sorry, John. What happened to that church? Well, today you can visit it. It's an ancient ruin site. These are pictures of the Basilica of St. John. The rebuild of that church shows pillars supporting nothing. 
and a baptistry that's empty. I've stood in that baptistry. It hasn't baptized anyone in 700 years. That church has fallen away. It has no witness for Christ. Right now, it's a tourist attraction you pay money to in an unreached country called Turkey. All because they didn't hold to and hold up truth. And so we'll close this service by holding to and, and holding up truth. We'll join what Christians for thousands of years have been doing when we gather together. We will celebrate through creed and cup. Saying a creed that has been spoken of for about 1,700 years called the Nicene Creed. Nicaea was the location. It was written a few, not too far from Ephesus where Timothy was about 250 years after his pastorate. If you would pull out your communion elements and get them ready, we will recite this creed with brothers and sisters around the world. Join me in standing. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. And we eat and drink in honor of our Savior, the head of the church, Jesus Christ. In glory, glory, we have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all. We raise the anthem, our loudest praises ring, we crown him Lord of
you are the one that we look to. God, I pray that Jesus, your life, your work, your ministry, your words, all of those would be our focus and the filter, our lens at which we can look at all of the other, all of the ands, all of the pluses through. God, may you set everything right in our world as we live with you, as we abide in you. Jesus, God, help us to see you and follow you in our everyday lives, we pray. And I just want to read this benediction from Jude over you, family of God, and just receive this this morning. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and evermore. Amen. 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 Hey, if you need prayer this morning, we... It is our honor to do that, to pray with you. Uh, if you go up to your right, you can see the sign. It says prayer room. You just follow that back. There's people that they, they've committed their morning to praying for you. So come go back there and meet with them. Hey, we love you guys. Have a great week.